Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is July 28th. Frantic competition among European powers marked the late 1800s and early 1900s. The strength of a nation was measured by the scope of its wealth and resources, the amount of land it held, and the size of its army and navy. The leaders of many countries believed that a nation could only achieve its political and economic goals if it had a strong military, a belief known as militarism. Conscript armies grew in most countries in which young men were required to undergo a year or two of military training and were then sent home as reserves to be mobilized or called into action when needed for fighting. Naval budgets increased every year, especially in Great Britain and Germany. No country wanted to be without allies if war broke out, so two major military alliances took hold. Germany, fearful of being hemmed in by its enemies on east and west, signed an agreement with Austria-Hungary to support each other in a European war. Russia and France reached a similar agreement. Militarists increasingly viewed their nation's armed forces as above criticism, and many greatly admired such military values as self-sacrifice, discipline, and obedience. War was increasingly seen as an adventure, an opportunity to fight, and even die for one's country. Carl Pearson, a British writer at the time, claimed that wars are necessary. He maintained that nations could establish their rightful position in the world by contest, chiefly by way of war with inferior races and with equal races, the struggle for trade routes and for the sources of raw materials and food supply. Others held similar views. Count Theobald van Botman Holloweg, the Chancellor of Germany at the turn of the 20th century, claimed that the old saying still holds good that the weak will always be the prey of the strong, when a people will not or cannot continue to spend enough on armaments to be able to make its way in the world, then it falls back to the second rank. For Pearson, Holloweg, and other Europeans, a nation was more than a country. To them, the members of a nation not only shared a common history, culture, and language, but also common ancestors, character traits, and physical characteristics. Many believed, therefore, that a nation was a biological community and that membership in it was passed on from one generation to the next. In other words, belief in a nation was similar to what many believed about race. Some historians refer to Europe in the early 1910s as a powder keg or a barrel of gunpowder. European nations were eager for war to prove their superiority over other nations. They had growing militaries and they had joined together to form opposing military alliances pledging to support their partner nations in case of war. Like a barrel of gunpowder, the smallest spark could make everything explode. The spark that set off World War I came on June 28, 1914, when a young Serbian patriot shot and killed Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Austria, in the city of Sarajevo. The assassin was a supporter of the Kingdom of Serbia, and when one month later, to the day, the Austrian army invaded Serbia, as a result of the military alliances that had formed throughout Europe, the entire continent was soon engulfed in war. And because European nations had numerous colonies around the world, this war soon became a global conflict. 
1945, a military plane crashed into the Empire State Building in New York. The freak accident caused caused by heavy fog. It killed 14 people. The B-25 Mitchell bomber with two pilots and one passenger aboard was flying New Bedford, Massachusetts to LaGuardia Airport, New York City. As it came into the metropolitan area on that Saturday morning, the fog was particularly thick. Air traffic controllers instructed the plane to fly to Newark Airport instead. This new flight plan took the plane over Manhattan. The crew was specifically warned that the Empire State Building, the tallest building in the city at the time, was not visible. The bomber was flying relatively slowly and quite low, seeking better visibility, when it came upon the Chrysler Building in Midtown. It swerved to avoid the building, but the move sent it straight into the north side of the Empire State Building near the 79th floor. Upon impact, the plane's fuel exploded, filling the interior of the building with flames all the way down to the 75th floor and sending flames out the hole the plane had ripped open in the building's side. One engine from the plane went straight through the building and landed in a penthouse apartment across the street. Other plane parts ended up embedded in and on top of other nearby buildings. The other engine snapped an elevator cable while at least one woman was riding in the elevator car. The emergency auto brake saved the woman from crashing to the bottom, but the engine fell down the shaft and landed on top of it. Quick-thinking rescuers pulled the woman from the elevator, saving her life. Since it was a Saturday, fewer workers than normal were in the building. Only 11 people in the building were killed, some suffering burns from the fiery fuel and others after being thrown out of the building. All 11 victims were workers from War Relief Services Department of the National Catholic Welfare Conference into the offices of which the plane had crashed. The three people on the plane were also killed. An 18-foot by 20-foot hole was left in the side of the Empire State Building. Though its structural integrity was not affected, the crash did cause nearly $1 million in damages and about $10.5 million in today's money. And finally, in 2013, Pope Francis closed one of the biggest Roman... Catholic youth festivals with a mass on Copacabana Beach. More than 3 million people were estimated to have gathered for the service in the city of Rio de Janeiro. Many of the pilgrims had slept on the beach after attending an all-night vigil, also led by Pope Francis. Sunday's ceremony marks the end of Pope's five-day visit to Brazil, his first foreign trip since becoming pontiff in March. He flew back to Rome late Sunday. The BBC's Wire Davies in Rio says almost every inch of the two-and-a-half-mile-long beach was occupied ahead of the Mass, as most of the young people stayed after the vigil, pitching tents or sleeping in the open. The vigil and Sunday Mass attracted the biggest crowd ever to Copacabana Beach, which has hosted rock concerts, sporting events, and the traditional New Year celebrations. Pope Francis encouraged young Catholics to get out of their parochial boundaries in order to help others. Go and don't be afraid of serving, he said. Jesus did not gather the apostles so they lived in isolation. He called them so they formed a group, a community, said Pope Francis. He announced the next Catholic Youth Festival would be held in the polar city of Krakow in 2016. Female activists held the demonstration nearby in support of abortion and women's rights. But our correspondent says the Pope and the church hierarchy will be delighted at the huge turnout the way Francis has been received by pilgrims across the globe. In the past three decades, the Catholic Church has lost millions of followers to smaller Christian denominations. In his vigil address on Saturday, the pontiff had urged the pilgrims not to be part-time Christians, but to lead full, meaningful lives. Speaking out on a huge stage at the beach where a mock church structure was built, Pope Francis referred to the street protests which have been taking place in Brazil for more than a month. 
The young people in the street are the ones who want to be actors of change. Please don't let others be actors of change, he told the crowd at the vigil. Keep overcoming apathy and offering a Christian response to the social and political concerns taking place in different parts of the world. Also on Saturday, the Pope repeated his challenge to fellow Roman Catholic clerics to take up to the streets. In a speech to 1,000 bishops and clerics in Rio's Cathedral, he said they should go to the favelas, British, Brazil's shantytowns. We cannot keep ourselves shut up in parishes and our communities when so many people are waiting for the gospel, he told the audience. Protests, sometimes violent, broke out in cities across Brazil last month against corruption, poor public services, and the high cost of events like the 2014 World Cup. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com World War I begins at FacingHistory.org A plane crashes into the Empire State Building at History.com and Pope Pope Francis holds mass on beach at BBC.com the music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.